Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. Listen friend, I need 90 minutes. Actually, I need about three hours. But if you'll give me 90 minutes, I'm endeavoring to try to give you the world with my broadcast partners ready to come to these microphones at the broadcast table and give us the insight into current events that are unfolding. In a few moments, we'll be going to Dr. Elwood McQuaid. He's a Christian statesman, and he's a man who can talk about the 70th birthday, according to the Western calendar, of the Jewish people in the state of Israel. John Rood will be talking with us about a European Union update My son, Jim Jr., is in Jerusalem. We'll be talking about Jerusalem Day. And we have David Dolan standing by for a Middle East news update as well. But first, we go to the catbird seat in Washington, D.C., Ken Timmerman. He's one of my favorite broadcast partners. He brings so much to the table. We always have a very informative conversation together. So glad that you could eavesdrop on it. Ken, an amazing, historic, courageous decision made by our president, President Donald Trump, when on early this week he withdrew from the Iranian nuclear deal. It upset the world, uh, but indeed he made probably a great decision, according to Middle Eastern leaders like Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel, and the crown prince there in Saudi Arabia. This is somewhat of a decision, was it not, Ken? Well, it was a momentous decision. It was something that had been long in the works. You know, the president's critics were saying two things about him after he made this announcement. The first was that it was really a precipitous, rushed decision. He he really, you know, should not have done it so quickly. He should have thought about it. And others said, well, gee, it took him 16 months to do this. Why did he wait so long? So, you know, even his, his opponents can't get their act together, can't get their story straight. Uh, but it's very clear that the president, during the campaign, called the Iran deal the worst deal ever negotiated. It was a, a U.S. giveaway in all of its parts. And he made no secret that he didn't like it. He was just trying to find over the past 16 months whether there was any way of salvaging it or of making a better deal. And because of that, he had all these consultations with Europeans uh, and others. Uh, But there wasn't. And there's no saving the deal. And I believe he did the right thing. I do, too. I believe it's absolutely what he should have done in the face of the reality of how bad this Iranian nuclear agreement really is. Well, meanwhile, in Tehran, Iranian lawmakers burning the United States flag after the nuclear deal was withdrawn from by the United States, threatening that they're going to retaliate, does not sound like somebody really who wanted to have a peaceful existence anyway, does it? Well, that response by the Iranian parliament is predictable. It's the kind of thing that they do. It doesn't particularly bother me. It just shows uh, how pathetic and absurd and impotent they really are. It's a wonder they didn't set off the fire alarms or the sprinklers in the marshals. That would have been fun to watch. Uh, But, uh, look, much more important, and I say this frequently, is to watch what the Iranians do. Don't, don't listen too much to what they say. Watch what they do. Uh, it is important to listen to them. And when they threaten to, to wipe Israel off the map or to attack America, it's important to listen to those statements. But watch what they do. And we've seen what they've been doing for the past 24 hours, and it's pretty extraordinary. 
Yeah, when you attacked the Jewish state of Israel, which you promised to do, you said you'd wipe them off the face of the earth. They send in some 20 missiles, four of them, I think, taken down by the Iron Dome, and the rest of them not even getting into Israeli airspace. But they're serious about this situation, and from their military operations in Syria, they are ready to try to do what they promised, wipe Israel off the face of the earth, it seems like to me. Well, they are, Jimmy, but uh, as I have argued up on Fox News on Thursday, uh, I think the Israelis have exercised strategic deterrence here. Uh, and I think what we're witnessing is, is extraordinary. Uh, it's breaking news right in front of us. We're going to know, I believe, within the next week whether Israel succeeds in deterring Iran or whether it doesn't succeed in deterring Iran. I happen to believe that the Iranians are going to respond to the uh, Israeli airstrikes in Syria. They hit over 50 targets uh, on early, you know, in the early morning hours of of Thursday, uh, and all of those targets uh, were where the Iranian Revolutionary Guards had set up shop, had set up missile launchers, that had they had bases. They were training Hezbollah, and Israel hit all of those targets with apparent impunity. They didn't lose a single aircraft. Uh, Syrian air defenses uh, went on alert and, uh, we're told, launched missiles against the Israeli Air Force uh, fighter planes, but none of them hit. Uh, And so Israel showed basically it can do whatever it wants. It dominates the skies of Syria. The Iranians can do nothing. This is very important uh, to the Iranian mindset. Uh, They have just been shown a second time by Israel that Israel is far more powerful than Iran is, that the Islamic regime is. Uh, The first time, remember, was when uh, the Israeli Mossad got the entire uh, Iranian atomic archive out of Tehran. I mean, you talk about somebody going in and, and, and robbing the bank at Fort Knox. That's what the Israeli did. It was the equivalent of robbing Fort Knox. They went into the most uh, secret location in all of Iran and acquired the most sensitive documents that had been locked up there. These two cases, I believe, uh, have created strategic deterrent. I think the Iranian regime is spooked. I think they are afraid. Uh, and while they may launch some retaliatory attacks against Israel, uh, my, my guess now is that they are cowering, not getting ready to attack. Very interesting developments we'll stay on top of right here at Prophecy Today. Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin was inaugurated for his fourth term. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, he invited Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, for an almost on-demand meeting there in Moscow. And while he was there, the Prime Minister of Israel told Putin that uh, Iran wants another Holocaust with the possibility of what they could do. That could be in the future as well, could it not? Well, that's, that's exactly what Netanyahu said. And from what we've been able to gather, they, the two leaders uh, spent 10 hours together uh, in Moscow. They went to this parade in, in, you know, through the streets of Moscow to commemorate the victory against the Nazis in World War II. And they were standing shoulder to shoulder in that parade. It was really quite amazing. There was only one other world leader with uh, Netanyahu. That was the prime minister of Serbia, who was wearing a yarmulke. Uh, So the three of them were together, side by side, going through the streets of Moscow. I think that Vladimir Putin is very uh, sensitive 
to these appeals from Bibi Netanyahu about Israel's security. You'll notice that the Russians did not activate their air defense networks in Syria during the Israeli airstrikes. We're told also that Netanyahu specifically uh, gave a heads-up to the Russians as well as to the Americans before Israel launched its retaliatory airstrikes uh, on Thursday morning following the Iranian missile attack on Israel. So I, I think that Russia is uh, more inclined these days to be sensitive to Israel, to Israel's security needs, than it is to help Iran to wipe Israel off the map. Do you think it's another direction that the president, Vladimir Putin, at his inauguration is going to take in his fourth term now? Well, I think it's a, it's a continuation. Uh, I, you know, this is his fourth term, so he's just he's he's staying on and staying on. He's essentially president for life now in Russia, and there is nobody else in sight to challenge Putin. Uh, but I think this is a, a stable uh, a staple of the Putin presidency. Now uh, he is not an anti-Israeli president. This is a big change from the Soviet Union. Remember that had threatened Israel with nuclear weapons in 1973. So this is a dramatic, positive change, and and so far, Putin has not been hostile towards Israel on the ground in Syria. Let me circle back now, if you will, Ken, to that uh, withdrawal by the United States of the Iranian nuclear deal. Now Iran is demanding that the European Union if they want to stay connected with some type of an agreement, they must guarantee the safety and the continuation as the terms now sit uh, for the Iranians. What about that? How do you think it's going to play out? Well, it's not going to happen. I think the Iranians have lost big time. Uh, when President Trump announced uh, the U.S. was pulling out of the deal, uh, he essentially made the same argument that I made last week, which is that Iran killed the deal. Uh, at the very get-go, because it entered into this agreement on false pretenses. It lied. The whole deal was a fraud. And now everybody can see it. Uh, they can see that Iran entered into this deal uh, on, fraudulent, uh, on a fraudulent basis. I don't think there's much the Europeans can do at this point. Some people have made the argument publicly that, that President Trump has now alienated our European partners. I don't think that's true. I've lived in Europe for 18 years, and been following Europe for 35 years, and I think the Europeans uh, are going to grumble, they're going to complain, uh, they're going to say all kinds of horrible things, but when push comes to shove, they're going to get right behind President Donald Trump, the President of the United States of America, because they realize that is the only place to be. Yeah, practical politics is always the best way to go. And by the way, we're going to post that article, an opinion piece on Fox News, and we'll have it up, the one that Ken Timmerman wrote about the Iranian deal actually being dead as of today. Ken Timmerman, the man who covers geopolitical activities for us around this world. Ken, always essential. We have a conversation with you. Thank you for being available. We'll talk again next week. My, my pleasure, Jimmy. These are, these are very important times. God bless. Thanks. They certainly are, and we have to stay on top of them with you. Well, we're going to take a break when we come back. A Middle East News update. David Dolan standing by. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today, and we're looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. We do that with our broadcast partners. In this second segment, we go now, as promised, to David Dolan with his Middle East News update. David, so many things happening in Israel today. I don't know really where to start. I guess we should begin with what happened on Wednesday night when there were some 20 missiles fired from a Iranian military operation someplace in Syria. The Israelis either took them down with the Iron Dome or they did not come into Israel airspace itself. But anyway, the Israelis responded, and boy, they took out a major part of the Iranian operation there in Syria, did they not? It was a massive operation, Jimmy, and we've got to point out to begin with the first time ever that Iran has directly itself, its own forces, fired anything into Israel. Now, they did, of course, send that drone that we later found out was armed. It did have a bomb on it and was aimed at an Israeli military facility in the Golan. Uh, Israel shot that down and then lost a plane in response as it struck some of those Iranian positions. But this week we've had much greater operations. Early Thursday morning, Israeli response to the 20 rockets, as you said, four of them were aiming, were going to hit Israeli military bases on the Golan Heights. The projectiles showed they were. The Iron Dome anti-missile, anti-rocket system successfully took all four of them out. The other 16 were deemed to be going to explode in open fields, etc., so they were allowed to land because it costs about $100,000 every time Israel operates the Iron Dome. 
very expensive system, but it does save lives. Had Iranian forces, Jimmy, actually gotten through a rocket or two and struck an Israeli military base, we'd be at full war. I mean, I believe there'd be a complete war, whereas now it's a two-thirds war, something like that. But Israel responded, as you said, very strongly. Russian reports said 60 Israeli rockets were fired in response. 18 Israeli jets took part in the operations, and they were widespread throughout southern Syria in a bunch of targets, and they hopefully wiped out quite a bit of Iran's infrastructure. Two days earlier, they struck near Damascus, Jimmy, and that was where they say the Iranians are stockpiling Fatah-313 missiles. Now, these are surface-to-surface short-range missiles, but by short range, we mean it's only about 500 miles that they can go, three to 500 miles. Well, that covers all of Israel from Syrian territory, not from Iranian territory, interestingly enough. Those are only useful to Iran against Israel if they're being fired from either Lebanon or Syria, and they were being fired from there, and Israel took out a huge stockpile of those, and reportedly killed a major general in the the Iranian Revolutionary Corps in that attack, Revolutionary Guards were killed, and other Hezbollah agents. So this is an escalating situation, and Jimmy, the assessments I'm getting is that it's going to continue for maybe even several months, unless there's just a climactic battle before that. The assessment I'm seeing from uh, some of my Israeli military contacts, uh, hearing from them, reading from them is that Iran is continuing to resupply the rockets. Uh, there's a constant flow of aircraft coming in from Iran to Syrian air bases and Lebanese air bases. They're obviously gearing up for further fights. Israel is ready for further fights, doesn't want them, and hopes that uh, its actions so far will deter uh, Iran or possibly force Syria to ask Iranian forces to leave the country, but so far no sign of any of that. So this conflict looks on, and of course we have important events coming up, especially Al-Nakba Day, the Palestinian commemoration of Israel's creation on May 14th, that's next Monday and Tuesday, and it could well be that Iran is planning a major attack for that time, and the Israelis are very concerned about that, but we'll be on full alert, that's for sure. Prime Minister Netanyahu, David, earlier in the week was called to meet with Vladimir Putin there in Moscow, Russia. And the Prime Minister reported that he told Putin that Iran wants another holocaust. It looks like they may well be stepping into that mode to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, which they have promised they would do and do it very quickly. Jimmy, again, I have to remind the audience, this is a country that Israel has never fought a war with before. Iran did not participate in the 48th Arab-Israeli conflict or the 67 war or the 73 war. And even in 82, they were just beginning to take over portions of Lebanon and to set up the Hezbollah militia. After that, their proxy forces have taken part in attacks upon Israel many, many times. And we include in that not only Hezbollah with its 150,000 rockets and uh, fighters and whatever, but Hamas in the Gaza Strip and Islamic Jihad in the Gaza Strip that has also been armed and funded by Iran. So the proxy fighting has been going on for years. Now we have direct military action, and it is only coming because this country, Iran, has moved into another country, Syria, 
and taken advantage of an internal civil war there to set up bases, and in exchange they gave the regime, the Assad regime, help to stay alive, as of course the Russians did, much more so even, and uh, Assad is now victorious and basically back in the saddle for good. Now he should say to Iran, get out, you've helped us, now leave because you're going to lead us to war. Instead, we had a statement on Thursday, Jimmy, from the Syrian regime that it fully supports the Iranian action and that it, too, will take up the battle against the Zionist enemy. So if Syria directly gets involved in this along with Iran, then we have a full war, full nonstop war, and it will involve Lebanon, it will involve Gaza. We have all the trouble going on in Gaza. And again, Jimmy, the concern is really for this coming Monday, because on Nakba Day, the Palestinians are already planning massive protests and violent rallies. Uh, other Arab countries are hosting rallies on that day, too, especially Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon, and Egypt. Anti-Israel rallies will be held in those places. And uh, it's always an emotional time for the Palestinians every year because, again, that al-Nakba means the catastrophe they see Israel's creation 70 years ago on Monday, according to the Western calendar, as a catastrophe that led to their uprooting and et cetera, et cetera. So the thought is that Iran may choose that day to really pummel Israel. But the fact that they already have fired rockets into Israel says it all. We're at war, Jimmy, full war, really. And it's hard to say where it's going to end. Well, it looks like God's word, according to Psalm 83 and verse 4, where it says they'll come out of the council meeting. They will decide together to wipe Israel off the face of the earth that her name be forgotten forever. That the prime minister's statement to President Putin of Russia that Iran wants another Holocaust because Zechariah chapter 13 verse 8 says that during this terrible time of the tribulation, two out of every three Jews will be killed. Looks like that stage is set to be fulfilled as prophecy. Well, Jimmy, I mean, we've got so much setting in place. It's I, I can't believe that anybody even slightly familiar with biblical prophecy isn't fully aware, aware of this, but I find people still are. Uh, they don't understand what's going on, and we have the outlines in the Scripture. But, Jimmy, that is exactly the case. The Iranians, again, have no reason to be next door to Israel, shooting rockets, starting wars, arming militia forces, doing all this stuff, except for their ideology, their religious-based Islamic fundamentalist Shiite ideology, that the Jewish state cannot exist, it should not exist, Jews can't rule over Muslims, Jerusalem must remain under Islamic control, not Jewish or any other control, and they've got to fight until they get that back. They have started this. They have come to Israel's door, and as Prime Minister Netanyahu said, when you come to kill us, we will respond seven times greater. Of course, that's from the Bible as well. And uh, it is a holocaust they're planning. They say it. They want to wipe the Jews off of Tel Aviv and Haifa and out of the land. There's over six million Jews in Israel now. So if they were to succeed, it would be worse than the Holocaust. But you and I know from the book they won't succeed, but they sure are trying. And all of this going on when the Jewish people are celebrating Jerusalem Day. While we're on the air, it's the time of the beginning of Jerusalem Day, a celebration of the capture of the city of Jerusalem on June 7, 1967. That's according to the Western calendar as well. 
and also when you're thinking about the 70th birthday. All of this going on, celebration in the land among the Jewish people outside the forces who want to destroy them. Well, there's a God of Israel, Jimmy, and you and I know that. This was all prophesied in the Old Testament. The countries that were spoken of as being Israel's enemies are her enemies. This is ancient stuff coming true today, and it just shouts to the heaven that the God of Israel is God. Whether the Iranians believe that or not, of course, many do, and many are coming to the Lord in Iran. We've got to remember the Iranian people in this, too, because they're slaves of that regime. And most of them would depose it if they could. But, again, they're after Israel, and they want to destroy the Jewish people. This is Satan at work. That's all we can really say. And, boy, if there's ever been a time to pray, it's now. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us, he's done it for over 30 years, not for us only, but for CBS and for other news outlets across this world. David, thank you for your great insight, your reporting on the issues that are unfolding in the Middle East, and of course, absolutely, we'll have to have another conversation next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to bring to this broadcast table Elwood McQuaid. He's a Christian statesman. We're going to talk about the 70th birthday of the Jewish state of Israel from his perspective. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. We move now into our second half hour. Remember, I ask you for 90 minutes. If you'll give me that, I'll give you the world, and we'll discuss current events in light of biblical prophecy. In this half hour, we'll be going to Jerusalem. You realize today is Jerusalem Day, the celebration of the capture of the city of Jerusalem by the Israeli paratroopers. They did that after 2,000 years, June 7, 1967. Well, you know, it's not June, I understand that. But according to the Jewish calendar, it's their time of celebration. More on that when I talk to Jim Jr. in Jerusalem. Right now, though, I want to bring to this broadcast table a Christian statesman a man who has been a long-time friend to me personally and to all of us here at Prophecy Today. He is a man who has been the chief editor, the editor-in-chief of one of the outstanding Christian magazines, which is entitled Israel My Glory. 
He headed up in an organization called Friends of Israel. He's traveled around the world, written a number of books, so many I can't even start to give you the titles of them. But if you see anything with the name L. Wood McQuaid on it, grab it, read it as soon as you possibly can. Elwood McQuaid, Dr. McQuaid, is joining us to talk about the anniversary of the 70th birthday for the Jewish state of Israel. Elwood, I know you're an old guy, but are you still doing pretty good there, buddy? Yes, I'm doing well, Jimmy, and it's hard, though, difficulty to keep up with you. That's my problem these days. <laughs> well, I've been chasing you for all of these years. Now maybe you're slowing down a little bit so I can catch up with you. Elwood, many people, as we think about the 70th birthday of the Jewish state of Israel, in fact, many world leaders have gone into Jerusalem, and they have been quoted as saying it's a miracle that these people scattered all over the four corners of the earth have come back and established the Jewish state. It is somewhat of a miracle, is it not? Yes, it is, Jimmy, and it's what the world did not expect. Many of the Gentile nations, of course, stood firmly against, but the Jewish people, according to what the Scripture said would happen, once in the history of humanity, an ancient nation scattered across the face of the earth would be reborn, step out of antiquity, and come back home. It is a miracle by any standard of, uh, of measurement, and it's a glorious thing to see. And now to think that 70 years have passed, and the Jewish people and the Jewish state is flourishing, even though there are so many uh, dark clouds on the horizon at the moment as we speak. You know, for sure, it is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, which makes it tangible evidence that God is real and still in control, isn't it? Yes, it is, because when you talk about something being against all odds, uh, it, it was. And the even among some of the uh, chief rabbis in Germany and other places in Europe had discounted the uh, prophetic uh, scripture that, uh, the Jewish people would return. Uh, in spite of all of that, there was, in the light of the terror and horror of the Holocaust and the uh, Zionist movement that uh, began in, in the late 1800s, men like Theodore Herzl saw what was on the horizon. And they decided, in concert with British people, the British mandate, who really fueled by Christian believers who believed the scriptures, and they sanctioned the return, and now we see all of this going on in just before our eyes. It is a miracle. can't be denied. Elwood, I've often said that World War One actually prepared a land for the people, and World War Two, you alluded to the Holocaust, World War Two prepared the people for the land. That's pretty much on target, is it not? Exactly right, Jimmy. I was looking a few moments ago at General Allenby uh, dismounting his horse when he came into uh, Jerusalem, drove out the Ottoman Turks in uh, World War One, dismounted his horse, and would not ride a, a mounted animal across the streets where his Savior had borne his cross. And when you think about that and how astonishing it is that people who were... Bible believers, in spite of all contrary 
predictions and contradictions. You know those historical moments, Jimmy, that live in eternity, not just in time. And when you when you look back at those events and that the British, the right people, the right consort of countries that moved into the land represented by General Allenby and others and then the Six-Day War and the War of Independence, all of these things, the odds were stacked against Israel, but God brought it to pass. There's no other explanation for that. You know, I was reading in my quiet time this morning, Elwood, Romans chapter 10, where it says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And specifically, Paul said, the Jews have to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Though they're in their land, a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, still these Jewish people must trust in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Well, I'll tell you, if you want to simplify the issues, there are many issues, of course, between Christianity and Judaism. But, Jimmy, if you want to reduce it to the finest point of agreement that will finally come, there's one issue of issues. When the Jewish people and Christians agree on the identity of the Messiah, every problem will be solved. And you quoted from Romans, all Israel shall be saved. That is, all of Israel will come to the understanding and the belief and the commitment that Israel's Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who came not only for Gentiles, but for the Jewish people as well. It's a glorious thing to contemplate, and we're moving toward that issue by leaps and bounds these days, as you well know. Elwood, I have been always amazed as I would be with you when you're addressing a conference someplace in this world, whether it be Jerusalem or Washington, D.C. or New York City, how you were so capable of being able to, with love and kindness, present the gospel to the Jewish people. And you never backed up from that. That was, to me, a very important personality aspect of your life that really brought me to be in love with you as it relates to a man who loves not only everybody, but in particular the Jewish people. How were you able to do that? I mean, it was just out of love, was it not? It's out of love. And, Jimmy, I, I explained this way. In my own life, and so many other believers over the over the years have shared this experience. I was not raised in a Christian background by no stretch of the imagination. And when I came under conviction of sin, and realized that I needed a Savior, I got on my knees and I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my life and to transform my life into a Christian believer. But what actually happened was this. I met a Jew one day, and this is the way I explain my conversion, my love for Israel, my love for the Jewish people. I met a Jew one day who changed my life. He absolutely revolutionized my future and my eternity. He was a Jew. Jesus Christ was a Jew come to earth in human form to redeem the likes of me. And that makes me a debtor. The Apostle Paul said it for all of us, Jimmy, that we're debtors to share the love of Christ And that's the one thing that Jewish people need to see from Christian believers, a credible witness of the reality 
of the faith that we have in a Jewish Messiah. Wow. That's what I remember, you always being able to communicate whether there were Gentiles or Jews in the audience giving them the truth of eternal life. Well, Elwood, we've been talking about the miracle of the gathering of the Jewish people from across the world, the restoration of a Jewish state, the 70th anniversary of that. But yet there is a lot to come as far as the Jewish people are concerned before, in reality, they will recognize Jesus Christ as their Messiah. You and I are both prophetic teachers. We know what's ahead. Yes, we do. And, Jimmy, when I've been thinking in the last few days with all the difficulties, we have the celebration of the coming of the Jewish, the, the reality of the Jewish state. Uh, Seventy years were removed now from it. We go to Jerusalem to celebrate that. And while we do that, the enemies of Israel are preparing a day of rage that is in the militant Arab world. And amazingly, but predictably, if you know the scriptures and a prophetic truth, at this same moment that we're talking on this phone, Haman is back with a commitment to genocide, to wipe out the Jewish people. takes me back to the book of Esther, the confrontation with the Persians. Iran is Persia, and Persia now attempting to gain hegemony over the whole area of the, of the Middle East and even Europe, and their commitment to destroy the Jews. It's Haman all over again. And if you know biblical truth, you know historical reality, and you have a context. You can understand what's going on in this moment. If you understand what the Scripture says, in this was, <laughs> Haman lived and died over two millennia, well over two millennia ago, and we think of Esther's words, if I perish, I perish, and for such a time as this, that lives on with us, that's reality in this moment of time. It's the wonder of wonders that we can put it all together like this. It's that miracle, that fulfillment of Bible prophecy that Elwood McQuaid and I have been talking about here on Prophecy Today. Elwood, I said you were a Christian statesman and beyond that an articulate person as it relates to both writing and speaking about one of your favorite subjects, the Jewish people and the Jewish state of Israel. Thank you so very much for this visit. Appreciate it, and we'll talk again down the line. Thank you for the opportunity, Jimmy. I always enjoy a conversation with Dr. Elwood McQuaid and how articulate he was with his discussion with me about the Jewish nation, their 70th birthday, and, of course, the dangers yet to come as it relates to the Jews and the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Right now, we're going to switch to a region of the world that is key in our understanding of Bible prophecy. I'm talking about the continent of Europe, and in particular, the European Union. John Rood is the man who deals with that for us. John, we know at the first of the week, the United States, a direct statement by President Trump withdrawing from the Iranian nuclear deal. This has caused a lot of confusion across the world, a lot of concern as well. 
And Iran now making the statement that if Europe and the European Union want to stay involved, in particular those three nations, which would be the United Kingdom, France, and Germany, along with the remaining six people, or five people without the United States, I guess, uh, the Iranians saying if Europe wants to stay involved, they must make some type of an agreement uh, with Iran. What do you think that may be? Are they going to continue on, or are they going to fall away like the United States has? There's so many uh, peculiar items about this particular issue. Very, very uh, interesting, very crucial time that's happening right now. Iran has come back to the European Union saying basically we don't even trust the European countries and we want to have some type of guarantees that you're going to stick to the nuclear agreement. That's, that's so ironic, it's actually backwards. So we should be having guarantees from Iran to stay, but they're using this opportunity of the United States withdrawal to uh, leverage their position. And, of course, they're able to have economic benefits in return for not developing the nuclear weapons. We know that this has not been the case. Our discussion last week was interesting that the EU had sent a delegation to Israel to review the documents, the nuclear documents that had been taken out of Iran, and there's been no discussion of that whatsoever. The only news that's out is basically the EU is going to stand by this agreement whether the United States does or doesn't, and certainly they're not at this point in time. There's various factors at work here. President Trump has been a, a fine a negotiator, and what he's done is he's actually given time, he's drawn a line. The EU companies have to consider their options because there's actually a November 4th deadline. So sanctions don't necessarily start immediately. But the money that's involved is absolutely staggering. In 2014, the United States slapped a $9 billion fine on France's largest bank for evading sanctions, the BNP Paribas. Uh, then you have Airbus has uh, a deal with Iran right now, $20 billion for 100 aircraft. Total, the oil company, has a $5 billion deal as well. So now the European Union has to determine the parameters with the United States. If they have to come to an agreement between U.S. financial interests and Iran's, the EU will choose the United States. But they're in a very hard place. They're in the middle of this. And so they're basically saying we will even kick out our side of the deal with the United States if necessary. Well, in fact, I've heard that the European Union is considering blocking any U.S. sanctions on Iran. Is that a viable possibility? Well, that's interesting. It's sort of a political weapon that they have. Uh, they have opportunities to react from a lawful standing, and so there's actually a blocking statute. Uh, maybe they came uh, up with this when there were previous uh, sanctions fines. Here, there's an issue of what to do in such a case, because it's actually never been used before. I don't think the European Union necessarily wants to have a full-out trade war with the United States, but they have very, very defined and clear financial interests with the deal with Iran. But notice, the Iran deal was all about Iran not developing the nuclear weapons. And even though there's proof that they had done that, 
That's not the point now. The point now is engaging and keeping the financial interests. The blocking statute, I, I believe it's something that they'll be using as a negotiating chip and to give an, uh, an appearance of a new EU initiative. But really, it's, it's very hard for them to agree on such a thing. 28 nations, it would have to be unanimous. It's never been done. Does the EU really want to put Iran on a status above its relationship with the United States? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either, but it's the money that you mentioned last week when we had our conversation that really is the problem. Well, what about Vladimir Putin, inaugurated for his fourth term as president of Russia? Vladimir Putin uh, threatening possibly to get involved there in Ukraine, but uh, kind of a thorn in the flesh of the European Union, is he not? Uh, Absolutely. This has continued, the stress from Russia, and it's spilled over into uh, United States-Russia relations. The United States is uh, beefing up some forces as well, uh, dealing with Russia and China. The result of this is that the European Union is working on strengthening their ties with Russia. But with Vladimir Putin, he has just been inaugurated for his fourth term. He's been in power for 18 years. And it's it's a bit uh, humorous that the question always seems to be, can Putin just go on and on indefinitely? Well, the answer to that is he already is. That's a very interesting comment. Yes, that's a short answer, but it's absolute in reality today. Well, as you study Bible prophecy, everybody must be aware of the fact two major powers right after the rapture of the church will come into place in this world. The leader of Russia leading a coalition of Islamic Middle Eastern nations against the Jewish state of Israel. And, of course, the reason we talk with John Rood is that the European Union may well be the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, that other superpower in the tribulation period. That's why we have these conversations and always great conversations with you, John. Thank you so very much. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. Look forward to next time. Well, we switch from that region now back to Jerusalem, and we're going to be talking with Jim Jr., our oldest son. He and his brother Rick are in Jerusalem, the beginning of a tour with a group of people from the United States, an exciting time to be in Jerusalem, the 70th birthday of the Jewish state by the Christian calendar. And, of course, it's Jerusalem Day, and that's by the Jewish calendar. So we're working from two different calendars today. Hey, Jim, it's exciting to be in Jerusalem, is it not? It sure is, Dad. Seems like we've had this conversation at least three times within the last two months. Well, you know, the calendar's switching us around. It's like deja vu wherever we may find ourselves on certain days, Jewish holy days, or Christian calendar days, whatever. But Jerusalem Day is a great celebration, special for the Jews. Talk to us about that, if you will. Well, in Hebrew, it's called Yom Yerushalayim, and it is a, an Israeli national holiday. And as a matter of fact, the rabbis made it a minor religious day because it really signifies the reunification of the city of Jerusalem. Remember in 1947, the United Nations put together a partition plan uh, to divide up the city of Jerusalem. And, of course, in 1948, uh, Israel declared themselves a state. Uh, David Ben-Gurion down in Tel Aviv at Independence Hall 
brought the state into existence. At that moment in time, the country was attacked by five different fronts, uh, by Arab countries, and Jerusalem was taken over by Jordan. And Jordan came all the way up and divided, really took East Jerusalem and the Old City. So at that point in time, they took over the city. They even uh, took some of the tombstones off of uh, the Mount of Olives and made them into paving stones. They destroyed something like 27 different synagogues in the city, uh, one of the most famous ones being in the Old City in the Jewish Quarter. So at this point in time, uh, 1967 comes along, and uh, Nasser, President Nasser down in Egypt, uh, is coming against Israel, uh, really using some false information provided by the Russians. Nasser comes against Israel. At that point in time, Levi Eshkol, who was the prime minister, told Jordan, listen, if you stay on the sidelines, everything will be all right. We need to fight this battle. Of course, King Hussein of Jordan did not do that. And Israel pushed Jordan all the way back to the Jordan River. And on 1967 in June, that was a reunification. And just one day, Israeli tanks surrounded the city of Jerusalem. And they came from different fronts from the east, actually, from the Mount of Olives. And they reunited the city of Jerusalem uh, as the the undivided capital for the Jewish people. i got to read you this, Dad. Moshe Dayan, the famous defense minister, said, This morning, the Israeli defense forces liberated Jerusalem. We have united Jerusalem, the divided capital of Israel. We have returned to the holiest of our holy places, never to part from it again. To our Arab neighbors, we extend also at this hour, and with added emphasis at this hour, our hand in peace. And to our Christian and Muslim fellow citizens, we solemnly promise full religious freedom and rights. We did not come to Jerusalem for the sake of other people's holy places and not to interfere with the adherence of other faiths, but in order to safeguard its entirety and to live there together with others in unity. And that's what Moshe Dayan said as those soldiers race to the Temple Mount area where the Dome of the Rock is today. Wow, what a statement, and uh, almost brought tears to my eyes, son, as you were reading that statement by Moshe Dayan, who was at that time actually the Minister of Defense for the Israeli government, along with some other personalities, Uzi Narkis, leading those paratroopers up onto the Temple Mount to recapture this holy site for the Jewish people after some 2,000 years. One of my favorite stories is about Rabbi Gorin, who he was there to offer the first prayer at the Western Wall for the city of Jerusalem. He had a stick of dynamite. They tell me that he went in to the Dome of the Rock ready to blow it up and, in fact, start to rebuild the next temple. General Luzi Narcus told him to stand down or he would be arrested Very interesting story as it relates to the city of Jerusalem. And really what God did that day was a miracle for the Jewish people, was it not, Jimmy? It sure was. That's why the chief rabbi of Israel, using that uh, verse in Psalm 122.3, built up Jerusalem is like a city that was joined together. And that's why they call it this a minor religious holiday. And all the country celebrates. You know, as we've been here in Jerusalem... We've seen the kids carrying the flags. Uh, They're so excited. It's so exciting because not only are they having Jerusalem Day on Saturday evening and all day Sunday, but on Monday the United States is moving the embassy to Jerusalem. And so it is like a double whammy here. People are so patriotic they can't believe it. (laughs) 
<laughs> Man, how in the world did I send you to Jerusalem instead of me going myself? You guys have a great opportunity, you and your brother, with the tour group that you have there in the land right now. Well, one final thought, Jim. We've talked with Shlomo Gorin. We've talked with Rabbi Yehuda Getz and our good friend Gershon Solomon, who actually went underneath that area, the Dome of the Rock, to the location of the Ark of the Covenant. So Jerusalem speaks so many different things to the end-time prophetic scenario that's going to happen in Bible prophecy, doesn't it? You know, Dad, we always say that the Temple Mount is the holiest site on the earth. That's the area where Mount Moriah, that's where David purchased that threshing floor, that's where Abraham offered Isaac. And in Judaism, it's also the, they call it the foundation stone. We understand God's plan in the past, We've seen God work through, and we've talked to the very men who know where the Ark of the Covenant is, and we know that God has a special plan for the Temple Mount and the city of Jerusalem that will be here for eternity. That is an absolute that, uh, indeed, God's Word does guarantee for the future. Jim, what a great opportunity for you and Rick and all those dear friends who are traveling with you through the land of the Bible uh, and especially being there in Jerusalem on Jerusalem Day, and then to celebrate the 70th birthday according to the Christian calendar. Hey, look, you guys be safe. We know some things are happening in the northern part of Israel, but God is there to protect you, and we're looking forward to hearing a great report on your tour. And we'd love to have others go with us. If you'd like to come along and go with Joshua Travel, with either Jim, Rick, or myself, or all three of us, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel. You can find out the information. Jim, thank you so much, my good buddy. Be careful, son, and you take care of everybody. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks, Dad. We'll talk to you soon. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with David James about Jerusalem. We're going to go to the Bible, see what God's Word has to say about this holy city, the city of Jerusalem. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move now into our last half hour. David James standing by. We're going to have a conversation with David that is key to our understanding of Bible prophecy, the significance of Jerusalem as it relates to the Word of God. Stand by for that conversation that you'll be able to listen in on as I converse with David here at the broadcast table, and he has Bible in hand to talk about Jerusalem. Let me remind you that I have a poll question. It's on my home page on the left-hand column. If you'll scroll down, you'll find the question, and it also pertains to Jerusalem. Here's the question if you'll go there and respond. Many current events focused on Iran, Israel's 70th birthday, North Korean talks, plus much, much more. However, Jerusalem Day, the day that the Israeli Defense Force captured the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, seems to be the most significant current event. Do you believe that Jerusalem should be the major prophetic event that the world should focus on today. 
Now, there's the poll question. Hope you'll go there and respond to it. And while at my website, check out our tours. Go to Joshua Travel. We have all of the tours, about eight for this next year. Love to have you come and join us at least on one of them, possibly two, because we do have a second timers tour that is included. So find out all the information you need at my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel. We now bring to these microphones David James for our weekly conversation and a focus this time on the city of Jerusalem. What a beautiful city. Harushalayim. That's how you say it in Hebrew. Almost sounds like music when you speak the name Jerusalem. Well, it is the holy city. We'll get into that with David in just a moment. But David, we catch you before you get started towards Word of Life, the main campus there in New York State, up in Scroon Lake. And you're going to be teaching for the next two weeks, and then we'll be together right here in Chattanooga, teaching two courses this last week of May. I'm really looking forward to uh, this time together at the end of May, wrapping up this school year, where I'll be teaching a brand new course, Understanding Islam, which I think is going to be really beneficial to our students. And so I hope we get a good number who come out to be with us live there in Chattanooga. But I also hope for those who can't be with us live that they will choose to join us for live streaming. It'll be a great time, David, teaching Understanding Islam. I'll be starting one of a three-part course that I'm going to be teaching, and that will be going through the entire Bible, all 66 books, and showing you the prophetic passages and significance of each of these books as it relates to the end times. Great time. If you need more information about our School of Prophets conference, go to my website, prophecytoday.com, or you can call our number, 423-825-6247. Ask for Jody. She'll be able to assist you in any and every way. Well, today, David, on the program, we've been discussing in some of my visits with our broadcast partners, the city of Jerusalem and Jerusalem Day, the 51st anniversary of the city's reunification after the Six-Day War in 1967. I thought it would be pretty helpful for us to think about the significance of Jerusalem in God's eternal plan. We know current events around the world, geopolitical events around the world, bring us back to this topic. And certainly there is no more important city in all of the world. Not only is it the capital of Israel and ultimately will be the capital of the world, but actually it will be the capital, and this is not an exaggeration, it will actually be the capital of the universe and the capital of God's theocratic kingdom, not only during the millennial reign of Christ, but then in the new heavens and the new earth with the new Jerusalem, it will be the headquarters of God's theocratic kingdom for all eternity. So uh, I think it's always right and, and helpful for us to bring attention to that and to help our listeners really understand this, because we're living in a time where the vast majority of the world, in fact, even the vast majority of Christendom, would deny those facts. Well, certainly the region surrounding Jerusalem figures into God's plan from the very first to the very last chapter of the Bible and in fact, everywhere in between. 
Well, that's right. It's mentioned hundreds of times. And, you know, even though we have to be careful about placing too much uh, emphasis and reliability upon the teaching of some rabbinic tradition, as we know, the rabbis actually believe that Mount Moriah, which is where Abraham was going to sacrifice his son Isaac, and where ultimately the Holy of Holies stood in the, the first and second temples, that was actually the foundation stone upon which God created Adam. And again, I, I'm not saying... 100% for sure that's the case, but but clearly that place which is also identified as Zion and also as God's holy mountain, which is symbolic of God's place of rule throughout the universe, the holy mountain of God, that's traced all the way through Scripture, and it seems like every time uh, we turn around in Scripture that the emphasis comes back there. And as I already mentioned, ultimately there will be an earthly Jerusalem that will be rebuilt in the new heavens and new earth, but then we also read in, at the end of Revelation that the new Jerusalem was descending out of heaven as a bride uh, adorned for her wedding. So it would just really be impossible to overstate the significance of the holy city of Jerusalem. And when we stop to think about it, the first time Jerusalem is found in the Bible, it actually is referred to as Salem and it becomes the location of a significant event in the life of the young nation of Israel and its forefather, Abraham. Well, that's right. That reference is found in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, where we find that Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine to Abraham that God had brought into this new promised land as God had chosen this man to be the forefather of the nation. And what we find is that Melchizedek, even the name Melchizedek is made up of two words, Melchi, which means king and Zedek, which means righteousness. So you have the king of righteousness, who is the king of Salem. And of course, Salem is an anglicized version of the Hebrew word for shalom. So he was the king of righteousness, but he was also the king of the city of peace. And what was significant here is that when Abraham came into the land, he recognized that Melchizedek was also a priest of the Most High God, and he paid tithes to Melchizedek. Now, Abraham was the father of Isaac, the, the grandfather of Jacob, and the great-grandfather of 12 sons, and one of those sons was named Levi. And so Levi was actually in Abraham's loins. And so when God uh, when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, the scriptures indicate that all of his descendants also, in, in a symbolic sense, submitted and paid tithes. And so the Levitical priesthood, which was part of the Mosaic law, was actually seen as being of a lesser importance than the priesthood of Melchizedek. And then we get into the New Testament, and we read that Jesus Christ himself is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So it's an incredibly important passage in Scripture, and it starts right there with the king of Jerusalem, the king of Salem, when Abraham comes into the land. David, I've always thought it very interesting about Jerusalem that even before it was possessed by Israel, it seems to have been recognized 
as a holy place on planet Earth, not only because of Melchizedek, which you've been speaking of, who was its king in the time of Abraham, but also because of the name of its king 600 years later at the time of Joshua. Well, that's really true, and I think, you know, this is one of those things that I think a lot of us, when we're reading the Bible, we just pass over these names, and some of the names in Hebrew, we don't really catch their significance when they are transliterated into English. But if you go to Joshua chapter 10, this would have been around 1400 B.C., and as you noted, about 600 years after the time of Abraham, there was a king in Jerusalem at the time of Joshua, and his name was Adonai Zedek. Now, and I already mentioned to our listeners that Zedek means righteousness, and the word Adonai, our listeners may recognize that as being Lord. So we don't know that this man was a particularly righteous man, but the fact that you have a king whose name is Lord of Righteousness, who is the king of the city of peace, which will become the headquarters of God's holy kingdom. We see these references over and over again. And, if you know, you do a little bit of detective work and you pay attention, you really start to grasp just how important this city is. And as we've noted before, uh, the apple of God's eye. You know, one of the most important covenants in the Bible, there's a number of covenants, but in the Bible today, we find in Second Samuel chapter 7, the Davidic covenant, when the Lord establishes Jerusalem as the eternal capital, not only for Israel, but as you mentioned earlier, the entire world and the universe. That's true. God gave a prophecy through Nathan the prophet to David, as you mentioned in Second Samuel 7, and there are several promises that are included in that covenant. In Second Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 10, God says through Nathan, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Now, none of those things have happened on a permanent basis. And as we saw this week, Israel certainly is not at peace. Uh, but also we read down in verse 13 that there will be a descendant of David who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And down in verse 16, he says, Your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And that means throughout all of eternity. A key covenant to the Jewish people, a promise from God himself. And this promise has to be kept over in Jeremiah, I believe it's chapter 33, it said that the ancient prophet Jeremiah said, you'll have to get rid of the sun and the moon and all of the universe, really, before I'll break the Davidic covenant. An absolute promise. David, on Wednesday night, Iran launched its first ever direct attack on Israel from Syrian territory, which was largely seen as a failure, especially given Israel's overwhelming response. But even with that, Iran is playing a very dangerous game of chicken since God has said that the nation and Jerusalem would be the apple of his eye. That's exactly right. We go to the prophet Zechariah in chapter 2. And, of course, this is talking about a time in the future, but it gives us an indication of God's feelings. God is an emotional God, and, and uh, he has a heart 
for his people, and he has a heart for his holy mountain and the place where his presence was there as the Shekinah glory dwelt above the Holy of Holies in the in the temple. And he says this of what will be true of the future. In verse 5 of Zechariah chapter 2, he says, The Lord will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. And then down in verse 8, he says, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye, and for surely I will shake my hand against them. So going back even to the promises of the Abrahamic covenant, which is an eternal covenant, the land covenant, which is eternal, the Davidic covenant, which is eternal, and you reference the new covenant, no nation will escape unscathed who decides to set themselves against the nation of Israel and especially sets themselves to attack the city of Jerusalem. And that is an absolute, because God said it. David, great conversation as we focus on the city of Jerusalem, its past, its present, and, of course, its future. And one day you and I'll be there with Jesus Christ as he rules and reigns from the holy city, the city of Jerusalem. Hey, thanks for the conversation, all the research you did, David. We'll have another conversation on another issue next week. See you then. Great, Jimmy. Always glad to be with you. Thanks so much. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll put it all together, all the conversations with my broadcast partners, and I'll take a look at the book in light of what they have reported to us as it relates to the end times. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. 
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, our broadcast partners came to this broadcast table with key reports that revealed information on current events happening around this world that seemed to be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. For example, Ken Timmerman talked about President Trump withdrawing from the Iranian nuclear deal. It caused a ruckus across the entire world, but many Middle Eastern nations are saying that it was a courageous, historic move made by the President of the United States. David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update, possibly a result of the withdrawal by the United States from the Iranian nuclear deal, There has been an attack on Israel from Iran, located at their military bases there in Syria. The Israeli Defense Force retaliated, hitting some 50 targets in Syria. And then we brought to this broadcast table Dr. Elwood McQuaid. He is a Christian statesman. He's a man who spent some time reflecting on the 70th birthday of the Jewish State of Israel and the need for the Jewish people to recognize their Messiah. John Rood, who reports the European Union update for us, gave a report on the reaction from the European Union on President Trump's pullout of the Iranian nuclear deal. We talked about some of the ramifications there among the European Union member states. Jim Jr. was in Jerusalem. He and his younger brother Rick are leading a tour, a group of people from the United States going into the Bible lands. But what an exciting day to be in Jerusalem on Jerusalem Day. That's what Jim and I talked about, the fact that the Israeli Defense Force was able to recapture the Temple Mount in Jerusalem after 2,000 years of absence from that very sacred spot. They now control the Temple Mount What a great fulfillment of prophecy, Jerusalem in the hands of the Jewish people. And the fact is, everything that Bible prophecy calls for is unfolding as it relates to Jerusalem. And then David James and I took the word of God as we sat here at this broadcast table, and we went through Jerusalem in the Bible. You want to listen to that conversation that I had with David James. In fact, all the conversations with my broadcast partners can be heard at my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN. Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you'll be able to catch all six of my interviews with my broadcast partners. And be sure to tell a friend they need to hear this information as well. However, our main focus on the time that we take a look at the book should be on the city of Jerusalem. This is the day that is designated to celebrate the recapture of the city of Jerusalem by the Israeli Defense Force back in 1967, June 7 of 1967. You know, this all started, and the capability of prophecy being fulfilled as it relates to Jerusalem back in December of last year, December the 6th, 2017, that's when Donald Trump, President of the United States, 
named Jerusalem as the political capital of the Jewish state. And then on February the 23rd, saying that that move, the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, would take place on May the 14th, the Western calendar date for the 70th birthday of the Jewish state of Israel. So interesting, Jerusalem Day and the 70th birthday coming so close together. This is God's plan as laid out in Bible prophecy. When we look at Jerusalem, for example, in the book of Revelation, by the way, the word Jerusalem used 764 times in the Bible. Just let me take three times. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 tells us that there will be a temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The Lord tells John the Revelator to measure the location for that temple. The next chapter, Revelation 13, is the most detailed chapter about the Antichrist, and it gives all the information you need to know about that tyrant who is to come. Once he desecrates the temple by walking into the Holy of Holies and claiming to be God, he's going to leave, and then the false prophet will put up an image of the beast or a statue, make the image talk and move, and the entire world will be directed to honor this image of the Antichrist, the beast, each and every day. So then the city of Jerusalem in the last half of the tribulation period will be the focus as the world worships the tyrant, the Antichrist. Great information coming from chapter 19 and verse 11 when we see that the Lord Jesus Christ himself mounts a white horse, comes back to Jerusalem. Actually, he comes to the Mount of Olives, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4. He will then build a temple and he will set up his theocracy. Actually, his father God will give that kingdom to him for that theocracy. That's Daniel chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. Now, when I say a theocracy, I'm talking about a kingdom. And many ask, well, after the seven years of the tribulation period and the devastation on the earth, how could we have a kingdom and celebrate for that thousand years? Jesus answered that question, Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. He was teaching about the kingdom to come, and he referred to it as the regeneration. In this passage, it's talking about what the two Greek words for regeneration tell us, Palian Genesia. Palian, again, Genesia, Genesis. So the Lord will change the earth to the way it was at the time of creation, which he did in the Garden of Eden. And by the way, that's the location where Jesus Christ will rule and reign from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the Garden of Eden, forever. That's the significance of the city of Jerusalem. But before Jesus Christ rules and reigns from that city, there's another event that has to happen, and that's the rapture of the church. When he takes us who know Christ as Savior into his presence there in the third heaven today. And that rapture, by the way, could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. 